Welcome to the Rise the Challenge podcast. Join me today. She's an entrepreneur, a leader, the founder and CEO of Fearless in Training and the founder of Women Talk Money. It's Madeline Pratt. How are you doing today, Madeline? Great. Thank you for having me here, Alex. Thank you for coming on the show and getting the opportunity to talk about your Rise the Challenge. What we do with our guests is we go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what were you involved in growing up? So I grew up um, on a very small island that was just outside of Seattle and small town, less than like 20,000 people. And as as a youngster, I was really big into sports. So I played soccer for a long time at at kind of like the the really hyper competitive level where you're driving all around the state every given weekend. You know, my parents were dedicated to that. And um, then later I got involved in dance. So I became a dancer and I danced six days a week um, all through middle school and high school. And um, I also was just a big academic. I'm a bit of a nerd at my core. And so I went to um, a private uh, middle school and high school near here um, called West Sound Academy. And I spent a lot of my time you know, doing theater, AP classes, college prep stuff, you name it. So when you were doing those different activities, soccer and dance, was it one of those times where you wanted to try different things or whatever opportunity came upon, you were up for it? It was, it was uh, definitely what I would call like a rise to the challenge kind of moment for both of them. So I got, I, I love playing soccer. I started playing it when I was pretty young. And um, I realized that if I wanted to play it in a more elite level, I'd really have to improve my skills. And so on a whim, I tried out for a select team and I barely made it. I made it by like the skin of my teeth. I was like, I, I thought they made a mistake when they called <laughs> me, to be honest. But I am the kind of person where if you put me in a situation where there are people who are more capable than me, I want to learn from them and I want to grow. And so it was a really great opportunity for me to improve my skills. And then dance came about because I actually had to give up soccer. So I had a really bad injury that that kind of pulled me out of of soccer and it was a little bit trying and hard for my parents to keep up with the cost of the sport as I as I got more into it and so um, I discovered dance and and I always needed that kind of really intense physical outlet for my energy and so it it t- picked up and took off where where I left soccer behind. Did you have any inspirations or motivations when you were growing up that's like someone you looked up to in a way? Absolutely. So my my biggest uh, motivation was Mia Hamm. And I was little, the women's U.S. team was at the Olympics. They were just crushing it on every single level. And I was a brunette with a ponytail. And I just, like, Mia Hamm was my goal. And I think for me, the reason why was because seeing a woman out there who was so talented, but also um, you know, it wasn't about the way she looked or, you know, the way she acted. It was just about her pure raw skill and like letting that speak to, for herself. And that was really inspiring to me and something I looked up to a lot. Did you kind of, when you were looking up to her, did you kind of had that idea, I want to play maybe professionally as a soccer player? Or when you made that transition to dance, it was kind of like, I had my time for soccer back then. I think, I think with both things, I, I wanted to do it professionally, you know, in my mind. And then, you know, as you mature, reality kicks in a little bit and you recognize the level of skill and commitment, quite frankly, you have to have if you're going to play or do those things at an elite or, or a professional level. Um, and so, you know, I definitely think when I was five, six, 
seven, eight, I was like, I'm going to become a professional soccer player. And then, you know, by the time I got a little older and saw how, how great some other people were in comparison, I realized that it might not be, you know, my core dream. I had planned to dance professionally as well. Um, but when I got to college, I, I injured myself pretty badly. And so I had to, had to hang up my dancing shoes, so to speak. But both gave me an opportunity to just really explore and practice and and um, improve my skills at something I was really passionate about. So I'm really grateful for the time I spent with both of them. I think some people can relate where they have that passion that they have and they kind of want to continue it. But then as they grow up, they're learning more about themselves and they're finding new passions in life. I always tell a funny story with me. I always, when I was younger, wanted to be a game show host. I don't know why I wanted to be a game show host. Todd Noon, who was the host of Whammy, the new version of it was like a hero to me. And as I got older, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do this. Like there's no like set path to get to that stage in my life. And so then I started branching out playing sports. I'm like, okay, I had that fun. Maybe it can happen in the future, but I knew I had to give up on it. But you never know nowadays. Anything can happen. I could be the next game show host on TV after this, but that would, that would actually make me laugh. But <laughs> Especially though with, with all the new shows and stuff coming up, like I was just listening to a story this morning on NPR about how everybody's obsessed with that new show, The Floor is Lava. And oh, I feel yeah. like Netflix just keeps spinning up so many shows. You just got to get in with some of those writers and who knows what could happen. I know. It's like they come up with these ideas and you're like, why didn't they come up with this like years ago? Like, it seems like now is the perfect time for all these ideas. And I know like these shows that are doing like celebrity watch party where they're just filming celebrities watch TV shows at home. It's like, they could have done this like years ago, but it's just the timing of everything works perfectly. What was your dream job as you gotten older that you wanted to do? Ooh, that's a, that's a hard one. Um, so so when I got into high school, um, I was really really passionate about science, and um, and so I was there was kind of a culmination of different events that happened in my life that that pulled that forward. I was like I said a little bit of a nerd to begin with, and I was really into reading, research, and and things of that nature. And um, when I was thirteen, my um, cousin, my baby cousin, who I had known since obviously the time she was born, passed away from leukemia. And so there was a huge passion in me to solve that as a problem. And um, I was really passionate about becoming a pediatric oncologist. So I went to college and originally was on a very pre-med focused path. Um, and I was working you know, as a, as a research fellow at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle um, in a lab that studied prostate uh, cancer research. And and I, you know, thought that was the path I would go down for, for a while was, was to either become a pediatrician or be, be a pediatric oncologist um, and discovered along the way that, um, you know, maybe research wasn't my love. Um, the amount of chemistry courses that were required of me um, and not just taking them, but, but actually acing them. Um, and then also the path of med school was, was just not something that I, I was cut out for because I ended up having um, a son when I was in college. And so trying to take all that on on top of having a little one was was a bit too much to bear but um i am very grateful for the time i spent learning those things and i can i can read a research paper like like the best of them and i got published a couple times so it was was a great great exploration you mentioned that you had you were kind of like a nerd growing up did that kind of affect your self-confidence in a way to like meeting people or 
interacting with other people or did you not let it get to you and you were just being yourself? So I, I'm like, most people would not realize that I'm like a really deeply rooted introvert, but I was joking with one of my team members recently, like there's no better sign that you're an introvert than being in quarantine and feeling like you still don't have enough alone time because that's, that's like when you know. And so I, um, I was introverted growing up, but my parents, um, my mom has a background in the arts. And so she was really big about putting us into things that were essentially performative in nature. And so, um, you know, dance being one of them, you know, we went to a school that always had drama performances. The school also required a lot of um, presentation and speaking, um, public speaking as part of the, the academic rigor. And so it kind of trained me in a way to, to be honest. And so, you know, I'm still a person, if I go to a networking event or, you know, if I'm, I'm going to go be at a conference, it's energetically draining for me. You know, I have to like, Ooh, a couple deep breaths and like really put it on, but I do know how to turn it on because because I it was something I was literally brought up and trained to do. I'm not an introvert. I'm an extrovert, but like during this quarantine time, I'm like I need to go see people. Like I will go to the grocery store just to be around people, and I'm always there. Where if I'm in a group, like you said with networking, I'm always the same way. I'm taking a couple deep breaths because I'm like I don't know any of these people. Like I don't know to say but then it's like when I get comfortable around people that's when now I'm still going to start talking probably some of the ears off but it's one of those things where I have to be comfortable with myself around the group of people when you were getting involved in those things like dance for one thing did it kind of get you comfortable being around people because you're always working with a group of people in your classes it definitely, definitely. And and in the dance environment too, you learn to trust people really deeply because especially as you get more advanced in your skill set, there's things like you're trusting somebody to like hold your body up in the air. And so you build a little bit of, of a community where you feel like, you know, you're safe and, and you really have to know people well and know people's personality types to feel like they're going to be able to literally hold you up in those moments where, where you're a little vulnerable. So definitely building that trust was, was big. And I also, you know, the schools I went to, I was lucky they were really quite small. And so um, even if I wasn't best friends with everybody who went to school with me, we all knew each other really, really well. And, you know, it was an academic environment where people were really encouraged and allowed to be themselves, which I don't think is typically very common in high school. You know, most people show up in high school and they're, you know, there's the person they are at school and then there's the person they are really truly. And then a lot of us, you know, you get to college and that's when you really start discovering who you are. Um, but I was lucky enough to, to, to be in an environment as a team that was really all about just, just encouraging kids to explore their identities and, and to be their full selves. And so I feel like I got to college and was maybe a little bit more solidified than somebody who was just kind of leaving the nest and like, who am I and, and how do I define my identity through, through, you know, whatever college has to offer. I think college is the best way to find yourself as a person. I think a lot of people when in high school, they're kind of like, I don't know who I am as a person. Do I want to be with this certain group or this certain group? And I was kind of like, I'm just going to be me. But then college, when you start getting into those groups, you kind of feel that you might find people that are opposite as you, but you, that's, the true friendships that are being created. I don't want to be a, with someone that who wants to disagree with me all the time. I'm fine with that, but if you're just going to say your opinion matters, that's just not how I am. I'm fine with the disagreements in a way. When you were in college and you had your son, 
was there some time that in your thoughts where you may have regretted like not being able to complete something, but you kind of learned from yourself that this is the path that I'm going and I'm just going to make the best of it. Yeah. So, so when I had my son in college, I took a year off um, right after he was born because I just wanted to really be there for the first year of his life. And I was already ahead a year in school because I had skipped a year in high school. And so I didn't feel like I was getting like too far behind or anything like that. But at the time, everyone had said to me, no, just like, get your degree done, go get your degree done. And as soon as he was one, I went back to school to finish that last year. And going back to school when you have a baby who sits still and sleeps half the day versus going back to school when you have a toddler who runs around and needs constant vigilance was a very different task. And, you know, it took a lot of determination to complete my degree. So, you know, luckily I was able to have access to some level of childcare, but there were many days I lived far away from the school where I was going to, where I was getting up at like 4.30 or 5.30 in the morning and I would ride a bus and I would take my son in a stroller on the bus and I would ride him to downtown Seattle and I would drop him off with my mom and then I'd get on another bus and then I'd go back to school and then I'd do a full day of classes and then I'd do that all in reverse and not get home till 8, 9, 10 at night. And it took just a lot of willpower and luckily by, it was my senior year and so I had some professors who were, I was super established with and they really wanted to see me graduate. And so, you know, when I needed flexibility, if I needed to bring my son to class, they would let me bring him and I would, you know, set him up with coloring books at my feet and be working away. But it definitely took a different level of, of determination than, than your average student. But I, my professors knew that I, I was hungry for, for completing my schooling because I was willing to show up despite all of those odds. So having those support system, if you didn't have those, would it have been harder mentally for you to be able to go through everything that you went through during those times? But because your teachers were so motivating to help you accomplish your degree. That the support system made a huge difference. And I think that um, people being really understanding and, and open and encouraging, you know, my family was a huge support system during that time as well. And so, you know, when I did graduate, it almost felt like this, this like collective effort. Like we've, we've done it. Like there's this photo where I'm like holding my son and, you know, and my degree. And I felt like it was something that he got to be a part of in a way. And I, I doubt honestly, he even remembers it because he was all two at the time, but, but it, it made a big difference to feel like, you know, we all accomplished that goal as opposed to something that I just, you know, powered through on my own. So after you completed your degree, what was the next step for you? Making money. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I graduated, you know, right in the height of the recession. And, um, and, you know, everybody had high hopes and aspirations for, you know, taking the, the degree they got. Mine was in medical anthropology and global health, you know, and turning that into something. But, but really, I had kind of three, three options ahead of me that were directly applicable to that degree. I could go work in the nonprofit sector. Um, I could work in research, which at the time was being gutted from a funding perspective, or I could go back to school and get my doctorate and, and go ahead and go into you know, the academia and working in a university setting and doing global research. And for me, none of those aligned with what I needed to do right then, which was truly to make money and to be able to support my son and I. And so, um, I was lucky enough that that one of my former um, uh, professors had reached out to me and mentioned that there was a tech company in the town that I 
had grown up in and was moving back to um, that was looking to hire. And it was, you know, just an entry level sales job sitting in the basement, you know, dialing your days away, smiling. You had to hit a quota of 75 calls a day. And, you know, like you had to convert a certain number of opportunities for the sales team and you were paid an hourly wage, but really to truly make money off of it, you had to make commissions. So I dove headfirst into that and worked there for a couple of years and grew to join their business development group. And um, it was a great entry level experience for me. And it was really what kickstarted my career, but it was definitely that little back of the mind driver of I've got to provide for myself and my son that, that pushed that forward. So you were going to do anything to make money to support your son and yourself that even it took that risk by not being able to do what you wanted to do. Yeah. And I think there was a part of me that trusted and at least knew enough people that had built interesting careers for themselves that I could see that, you know, even if I didn't, you know, I, I didn't set out or aspire to be an inside sales rep at a small software company. Um, I knew that one thing could lead to another. And so I think that that's one thing that, that, you know, is unique about me is that I always looked for not just, you know, this is the moment I'm in, but this is going to lead to that next moment or that next goal, whatever that may be. And I might not even know what that is yet, but if I, you know, keep my eyes open and I'm really aware of who I'm meeting, you know, I've always said, you, you never know, you know, treat everybody with kindness because you never know who you could be working for or working with. And I've built a career that's entirely off the relationships that, that, you know, one has led to the next has led to the next. And now I look back now and I have like consulting clients that know me back from that inside sales job. And they've just watched me, you know, grow my career over the past decade. And they, you know, have, have seen the skills that I brought to the table. And so it's these funny full circle moments that make you really value the relationships and the opportunities that led to the next thing. I think one great point you brought up is you never know what's going to happen, what skills you're going to gain and where that's going to take you. I graduated with a sports management degree and I was all about sports business, wanting to do that, but the sports world's hard. And the first thing you have to do is go into ticket sales. And that was just not my goal. That's, that's not me. I'm a creative person. I'm a person that likes to interact with people. So the job I'm at now it kind of is like I'm taking a longer route, but I'm gaining even more skills than what I would have had if I just started where I was. What's the biggest skill you learned or even something that you learned about yourself doing that sales job? The value of relationships. So for, for me, I recognize that there was... Um, there was so, so to back up a little bit, so I was working on this inside sales team. It was a company that, that sells a tax related product. And, you know, your goal, like the way it worked was that the company had bought a domain called uh, taxrates.com. And basically what would happen is leads would come in from that website because somebody had gone and downloaded a tax table. And then you'd call those people up and you'd say, hey, you know, I know you've been to taxrates.com. Did you know that you could automate this? You could do this better right? And you'd hope that that would lead to a conversation with people. And, um, what I started to recognize and realize was that a lot of the people visiting taxrates.com were accounting professionals and accounting professionals um, are very relationship driven. And not only that, in this particular instance and a lot of instances with software, they are actually the most valuable client you can have because they're not just, you know, 
buying software one time, they're potentially buying it across their base of business. And so what I started to get very good at is building relationships within the accounting industry and with these professionals and not just talking to them about the one opportunity, but talking about their practice. And those relationships led me to being recognized by the team and saying, you know, we're building actually a new team. We want to build a new team that focuses on working with the accounting industry. So I was hired to join that team. And then my work inside that team led to my next job, which was facing the accounting industry. And, and just like one stepping stone led to the next. And along the way, I was able to take the relationships I built. And even though I moved to a different company, you know, those people still knew me, they still trusted me. And they knew that I wasn't going to just, you know, sell them some crap product or, or make false promises to them. And so even when I started my own companies, you know, people had remembered those relationships we had built. And so it was pretty amazing to watch, you know, as I stepped out on my own, how those relationships followed me and became my first consulting clients. So after working with the tax company, what was the next step for you? So the next step was, was joining a large company. So I had been always, you know, it was very cool in the startup world. I learned a lot. And the company I worked for, I was like the 125th employee and they grew to over a thousand employees while I was there. So it was like this wild ride. And um, from there, I joined a much more seasoned company. So I joined a, a Fortune 500. I joined into, into it and I joined their business development group. And those two experiences were like night and day because when you work for a company like that, where they've got 8,000 employees and they've got, you know, layers upon layers of management and layers upon layers of approval and everything's got to go, you know, through, through HR and through, you know, all of these different layers, um, the pace is really different. And I was joining another new team. It was a brand new team that was going to approach the accounting market. And, you know, nobody had, had ever done this job before. And what I am very good at is coming into situations where there is nothing but maybe a loose idea and just going, okay, let's figure this out, folks. And so I, um, you know, dove in headfirst and started building relationships there, um, took along with me again some of those relationships from the tax company and spent the next 10 months just like blowing it out of the water, performing at 300% of my sales goals. Because again, I'm a very incentive driven person and I had a, had a, had a child to support. Um, and it was a really interesting learning experience, but one of the first things I figured out was corporate culture is not my jam. <laughs> I, I, don't like, I don't like having to wait for permission to do things. I'm very self-motivated. I'm more of an ask for forgiveness kind of gal. And so to have to kind of like sit on my hands and wait for things to be developed, like I, I just wanted to run faster and do more. And so I loved the experience and I loved the team. Um, but I had an opportunity to join another company after that in a really founder level, almost capacity. I was their first hire in the U S um, and so that opportunity was something I just jumped at and, and was really excited to take on after learning that corporate wasn't exactly my jam. So were you a person that was trying to get going on certain tasks? So like you said, you've been like waiting for stuff, like you were wanting an answer to an email right away or a phone call right away. Yeah, I, I'm an ideas person. And so for me, you know, I would bring a lot of creativity to the table and it would be like, oh, that's such a great idea. Now we've got to go talk to 200 people to see if it's okay for us to do that idea. And so it was challenging in the sense of um, having to wait. I'm not a very patient person, but it was also challenging in the sense of 
um, just the time it took, you know, time to really vet things through. And so I'd be in a lot of situations where I'd be like trying to track down the right person because it's a massive company. And so-and-so would say, you got to talk to so-and-so and then you talk to so-and-so and then you get to the last person that you were really supposed to talk to and they'd go, oh, if only you would talk to me two weeks ago, but now we don't have, you know, budget or bandwidth or whatever the thing was. And so that was really frustrating for, for, for me personally. And I think that I was a little, you know, there's, there's always been this little entrepreneurial spirit in me. And so um, I, it was hard to just kind of operate within the guidelines that were given um, when I wanted to create more than that. The, the next company you said was founder driven. What would, yeah. what were you doing with that company? So I was brought on board and it was really a leap of faith from that leadership in me. And I've, I'm forever grateful to them for the opportunity. So I was, I um, was given the opportunity to become their director of business development. Um, so I was a business development manager at Intuit and, and the next company um, just by happenstance, you know, part of my role at Intuit was vetting other technology companies for, for the, the clients that I was working with. And so I vetted this piece of technology and then learned that they were looking to build a team in the United States. The company was headquartered in Australia. And so, um, you know, they took a chance on me. I took a chance on them. You know, it was a brand new product and, um, and it was an incredible journey. So the first thing, you know, I did like two weeks on the job, we went to the biggest trade show in, in the space. And just, you know, I spent two weeks studying the ins and outs of the product so I could at least somewhat speak to it at the booth. And we walked away with more leads than they had ever gotten at a conference. And it was just me. And so I was like, what am I gonna do with 867 leads? <laughs> like, I have, you know, I'm good at dialing 75 people a day, but even then, like, we, we need more help. And so really there for, and then for the next three years I was just on a path to building out the team and so I took kind of two two sides of my role one was just constantly hiring and developing team members taking off hats because I was doing everything under the sun passing that on so that people could rise up in the ranks and you know take on and, and build out roles and then strategic business development work so really looking for the opportunities to to bring the product to the market or get it in front of the right people or go to trade shows and you know, I think in the first year alone, I clocked over 160,000 miles just flying around the country, flying around the globe to every single place that somebody would listen to me, getting up on stages, pitching the product, being behind a booth. Um, and it was a lot of fun. And I did, I did that for the next three years. I grew the team to, uh, to I think we had eight people when I left. Now it's like a team of, of 15 or so. Um, and it was a really amazing process in, in team building and um getting to really watch people come into their own in terms of their abilities. And I'm even so close, like I, a couple, a couple hours ago, I was even on a call with my former employee and we've been, we've both moved on, but again, I really value relationships. So just, you know, it was a joy to watch people kind of grow up under the company and the team that, that I was building. Did you ever have a moment when you were at that job where you got to like stand back and like feel what you've got accomplished in a way and not, instead of feeling overwhelmed with, okay, now I have all these leads and now I got to get to work. Did you ever have that sense of, wow, look what I've done? Not at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, you know, I mean, quite honestly, I was running at about 125 miles an hour for three years straight. And it wasn't until I, I decided to move on that I could step back and appreciate the work I had done thus far. You know, we had grown the company to multi-million dollars in the U.S. We had 
you know, acquired, you know, tens of thousands of new customers. We had, you know, I had built these programs that had led to a lot of revenue. And so it wasn't until I, you know, was, was in those moments of reminiscing as I was about to leave the, the company that I started to really feel pride for what I had built. And I would say like the biggest thing that I look back and I'm very proud of is, is the team is of the people I hired who, even though I moved on, you know, I made a point, you know, to leave behind a legacy of really talented employees who I nurtured to the point where they could step in and they could take over and manage, you know, after I left. And so that's what I look back now. And I'm most proud of is, is the people I was able to elevate because a lot of them, it was one of their first, you know, jobs maybe. And so to see the ways that they've been able to grow in their careers from that experience is, has been really rewarding. As your son is getting older and he's getting into the, where he might have to keep an eye on him, was it getting easier or harder or were you still having that good support around you that made it kind of easier for you to be able to support him? So, you know, I, I had a couple things happen. One was I uh, got married. And so my, my husband was a huge support system and has always been very supportive of my career and, and um, encouraging of me to just go. And, and so, you know, for example, during that time when I was traveling a ton, just having him and then also my parents being very available to, to be able to provide care. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to do the job that I, that I did. And then later I got the opportunity to really start bringing them along a little bit for the ride. And so, um, you know, not every trip by any stretch, but I was really adamant, you know, I was going all around the world and if I could bring them along, you know, it wasn't, wasn't flawless by any stretch, but if, but you know, it, it was challenging, but he got to go to Australia and he's, he's been able to, you know, go to all these, you know, I'm, I'm thinking out loud here, he's been, you know, to Texas and he's been to California and they, you know, anytime I had a trade show or an opportunity where I could bring them along for the ride and be able to also not just, you know, see these other parts of the country, but see what I did for work and, and be closer to my family. You know, if I was traveling that much was really, really important to me. I think every time they're able to travel with you, you just cherish the moment at the time, like enjoy yeah. the time that you're spending with, with each other, which is what some people that are in your situations like that, they may not get that opportunity. So luckily you're, you were able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. After that job, after the three years, what was the next step? And yeah. Next step in your journey. Yeah. So the next step in my journey, you know, kind of started to unfold um, partway through my time at that that last company. I had, um, you know, I, I had the universe kind of calling to me. If you'll if you'll stay in that woo moment for a sec. So what had started to happen was, you know, I was building my career in tech, and I obviously have you know, friends who, who, you know, were doing various things in their careers. And I just started to meet more and more women and also have more and more friends that were starting their own companies. And so they knew what I had done and, and, you know, what I did for work and that I was very savvy when it came to technology and digital marketing and things like that. And so, you know, one person would tell another person would tell another person. I started spending a lot of my free time um, just talking to female business owners who were who were struggling to, to you know find the confidence or or figure out the tools they needed to get started in business, whether that was building a business plan or building a website or integrating Square with something or you know all these little pieces that it takes to get a business off the ground. And you know I started to have these conversations in my free time and on the side, and it led to a little bit of coaching. And so I was working with you know female entrepreneurs one to one, and and you know it was just something in the free time, so to speak. But as I did it, 
you know, my heart started kind of tugging at me and was like, oh man, what if you could do this every day? What if you could do this every day? And this idea, you know, of not just working for one company, but working for multiple companies and the problem solving and, and the diversity of work and the way that I could, you know, leverage my skills in all these different ways, especially for people who didn't have those skills or maybe didn't realize they did and needed help and encouragement um, was really calling to me. And so um, I made kind of the heart decision and hard decision um, to let go my, you know, my cushy tech job and all the security that came with it um, and, and realized, you know, I wanted to start my own thing. And so, you know, I, um, I ventured out, you know, part-time, you know, I was doing it on the side and then I, I went full-fledged into the company and, and had started building it from the ground up. It was just, you know, me and a laptop and working from home. And it was really nerve wracking at the start because we had just bought our first house. Our, my other son was about to turn one. And so there was a lot of responsibility riding on me because um, I had been the primary earner for our family. And so, you know, I kind of didn't have any choice but to succeed. And luckily I did. So, yeah. What was the mission of the business that you created? So it's evolved a little bit over time. Originally, the mission of the business was to, you know, make things feel more attainable for, for female-founded businesses. And now we say that we're on a mission for businesses that are on a mission. And what we mean by that is really helping businesses that have a, a really strong value component to their company. So a lot of what I teach, talk, and train about is the importance of core values and how do you bring them in, into life in your business and in your brand so that it's not just, you know, this thing that you put on the website or the thing you put on the wall, but it's actually something that you're embodying through the actions and the goals and the vision you set inside your company. And so, um, you know, today we work with, you know, all sorts of different entrepreneurs um, that are on a path to building companies that change the world, basically. And it's a lot of fun. You know, we, you know, a lot of our clients come from, you know, my existing network um, and my team's existing network. So we work with everybody from, you know, really large tech companies to um, large accounting firms, because I still got that network to um, now we're starting to do a lot more e-commerce work. And, and there's definitely a thread that we love working with women and, and female founders to really help them with skills that they might have um, not had themselves or just not had the confidence to bring to light in their business. And so we do a little bit of coaching, a little bit of um, community centric work where we lead, you know, groups of people. And then we also do um, consulting on marketing, branding and sales. One thing I noticed when I was researching your company that it's all women. It was that the mission or the plan the whole entire time was to keep it women running so that the women can relate to each other and be able to communicate, learn, and talk? Yeah, you know, I, I built my team pretty organically, but there's definitely a desire in our company to create work by women and for women. Um, and for me, you know, part of the reason I structured the company the way I did was because I needed flexibility. And so um, some of our team are moms and need the ability to work from home. And, and I saw a lot of you know, at least particularly in my rise in different companies that there wasn't a lot that for women at the higher level was a super attractive role to, to be in, in a, in a traditional environment. And so we talk about, you know, entrepreneurship as a path to equality or as a path to, to shaping spaces where you can show up and be yourself and do your best work, but not have to compromise, you know, your family or, or other things. And I, I think that for the majority of women, particularly in the corporate world, 
you don't really have another option. There's either, you know, you bust your butt and you get to this high level and you hire a nanny like I used to, mm -hmm. or, you know, you get to that top level and you look around and you say, I don't really want to do this anymore. And you create something on your own so that you can have the flexibility and the freedom that you want for your life and for your family. As the individual that's running this company, when you were in a position where you had to talk to a manager or send something, get requests, what's something that you do differently as the manager or the higher level person in your company that you do that you saw differently than when you were responding to a higher level person? I, I would say the thing that my team would say I do differently that that I didn't really realize at the time until I got this feedback is that I'm really um, open about how I'm doing and how I'm handling things. So particularly right now with, you know, the, the COVID pandemic, um, you know, I think that there's this premise that we as leaders or we as CEOs have to be like, you know, buttoned up and we've got to have all the answers and we've got to, you know, hide our emotions. And um, we built a culture that's really different than that. I, I built a culture where, you know, we start every team meeting talking about how are you feeling? Like, how are you doing right now? Because quite honestly, for me as a leader, that informs the decisions I make. You know, if a team member shows up and they say, I'm doing awesome and I have tons of energy and I'm really excited about the work I'm doing and I'm ready for more, you know, I'm going to allocate that, that, that new work to them. Whereas if a team member shows up and says, I'm, I'm, I'm frazzled and I'm stressed out and I, you know, I need help, I know that we need to do the different things from a leadership perspective. So, um, but what, what I uncovered was, the only reason my team feels comfortable sharing in that way is because I show up and share that way and model that as a leader. And um, it is that level of like vulnerability and empathy that makes it possible for us to connect on a deeper level as a team and, and make people feel, you know, cared for, um, even in the harder moments where we're dealing with an upset client or, or, you know, where I'm coming down with maybe a little more heavy handed feedback and things like that. I think having that personal connection with a staff, not crossing the boundaries, but like you said, how are you feeling? What's going on? I think that's important because then you kind of get closer to your employees in a way where you kind of learn more than, okay, you're just this title or this person in this office. And I like hearing that. I know with my, my team that I work with, we got into that personal side where we learn about each other's lives because I think it helps learn more about that person as an individual. Like, oh, he might act this way, so let's try to make sure we work in this situation. And it can't, nothing can go wrong. I mean, we still are learning each day, and I've noticed because with my company, the age, there's a lot of age differences. I'm the youngest, and I'm working with a lot of people that have been working at my company as long as I've been alive. So it's kind of they're seeing what's the new generation looking like. You talked about core values when you're helping other businesses. What are the core values that you use in your business? So we've got a lot of them. <laughs> not, not a lot, but we've, we've got a couple. Um, but I'll, I'll speak to the, the few that are, are most important to me. Um, one is, is we call it cite your sources. And so this is kind of an homage to my background in research a little bit and my background in academia. But, um, you know, one of the things, you know, that we do is we produce a massive amount of online educational content, whether, you know, it's free webinars or our member programs. And, um, you know, when I started doing that, I noticed that there was a lot of people teaching and sharing 
topics without giving credit where credit was due. And I am nothing but an amalgamation of the books I've read and the things I've watched and the things I've listened to. And so it's really, really important to me to not take credit for the work that isn't mine, but to always cite our sources and detail where we're getting information from and to pass that work on to people as well. You know, we're always saying, you know, yeah, we learned this from this book or this website or we read this article, go check it out. Um, so not to, to pretend like that work work is ours is really important to us because there's a lot of people in the online content space, unfortunately, that are stealing other people's work and, and claiming that it's theirs. Um, another core value that, that is really important to us and, and particularly pertinent right, right now is acknowledging your privilege. So I you know, faced a certain series of challenges growing up in my life, but I also had a ton of advantages that put me in the position I am to run the company that I do today and to earn the money that I do today. And that in itself is, is you know, quite a privileged position to be in. And so it's really important for us to, to lead a team that is intersectional and really thinks about the ways in which our individual experiences influence the outcomes or the opinions or the beliefs that we help hold. And to also just acknowledge that, you know, whether it's a client we're working with or a member of our team, we're all coming to the table with different experiences and different privileges. And that's really important for us to, to acknowledge first and foremost before we can enter into a conversation where people feel safe and people feel encouraged. So those are just two of them, but, but those are two that stand out and are super important to me. Had, when you, you talked about with college where you had the challenge of raising your son, had you had any personal challenges as a CEO and founder during this time? Yeah, um, so a couple. So one is that um, I deal with uh, chronic pain. So I you know my technical diagnosis is fibromyalgia, but for those who don't know, fibromyalgia is just like a amalgamations of signs and symptoms that they can't explain. So they give you that label and you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's everything from I'll have days where my hands go numb, I've had rashes all over my body and it, it affects my energy levels and it, it leads to a lot of fatigue and pain. Um, and so that's something I deal with on a daily basis. And, you know, again, in that spirit of vulnerability, my team knows about it. My, you know, my husband's super aware of it. And, you know, if I'm having a, a day where I need to rest, I really have to take it because I'm not going to be able to get up and continue to work in the same way if I'm struggling. And, and, you know, that's the biggest challenge for me as a leader is I'm a go, go, go kind of gal to begin with. And I, I like to always be on. And it's really hard to figure out how do I shut off or how do I take you know, days off. I mean, full disclosure, I'm taking, I think, five days off in the next two weeks. And that's both a very big deal because it's, you know, the most time I've taken off with the exception of during a time period where I was literally recovering from surgery. Um, <laughs> but it's also, um, it means that I have to trust my team at a certain level and I have to be okay knowing I can take the downtime and the business will survive. And I think for any entrepreneur, you're, you know, you're super driven. And if you love what you do, you know, you, you're not bummed out by the fact that, that you work every day, all day, every day, but it can catch up with you as well. And so for me, there's been a really, a lot of learning of balancing, you know, okay, you know, I, I leave the laptop here at the office so that the work doesn't follow me home or, you know, I schedule off days or, you know, I think about, okay, if I was in a normal corporate environment, how much time off would I take annually? And how can I make sure that I'm doing that, if not more than, than I would in a corporate environment? Because I said that I started my company to be more you know, flexible and available to my family, but am I actually doing that or am I just working all the time? So it's definitely a juggle. 
So for someone that's maybe going through the same thing where they have a hard time taking the time off, what would you suggest they do to be able to say, I'm not going to be looking at my emails or phone calls or anything like that. I'm going to enjoy the needed time off. Yeah. So there's a couple of things that I've implemented this past year that have, that have made a huge difference. And as I'm a little bit of a nerd, they're all going to be tech-based. So one is um, there's this really amazing free add-on for Gmail called Boomerang, and it has a pause functionality. And all it does, if you hit that button, is it stops emails from coming into your inbox until you unpause it, or you can set it for a scheduled time. And so for me, this has been a game changer because I'm one of those people who constantly wants to be making sure that I'm getting back to people. And on average, I get between, like, I would say like a healthy hundred emails a day. And I'm lucky if now if I can get to what we like to call inbox zero. Um, and so that ability to pause or even sometimes like, cause I'm so neurotic, I have to snooze emails that are in my inbox so that they don't pop up again until tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And then I have to pause the inbox and nothing more comes in. But that really helps me from a mental perspective because I'm not gonna see those you know, popping up on my phone and I'll be able to focus on what I need to focus on. And I even do that sometimes if I'm like really needed to get a project done, you know, I just pause all of that so I don't have the distraction. Um, the other thing that I make a point to do is delete um, or, or pause notifications on apps on my phone. So, you know, we use Slack for internal communication. I have, you know, several thousand followers on Twitter and LinkedIn. And so, you know, if I have the notifications for those platforms on, I would just be distracted all day long. Um, and so making a point to either remove those apps from my phone or turn notifications off during times when I'm trying to be more off, it's, it's really helpful. That's not been the hardest thing for me. I don't have the notifications on on like social media, but it's just so tempting to go on the app and look at it, like who's messaging me on Facebook, LinkedIn and all of that. Because I feel like if I'm not getting to them right away, I'm doing something wrong. I've been trying to turn my phone off completely like throw it in my closet and try not to even look at it. And it's been nice for a couple hours, but then I'm yeah. like, okay, who's texting me? Did I miss anything? Cause I'm always worried like something wrong is going to happen when I'm not around my phone. But I just tell people if you need me wait a couple hours, unless it's like an emergency, then you can respond to me. And I know a lot of people have been putting like the do not disturb button on, but it's still, your phone's still on. So I know that's something that I'm working um, on myself is letting go. And on the days that I've taken vacation, but it's so tempting to look at work emails. It's like, you gotta remember, you gotta enjoy the time where you're at and not worry about it. It's not like every, anything's gonna go bad in one week. But, so trust is a huge thing for you. And how long did it take for you to build that trust with your employees where you're able to let them take care of the things while you're gone? Um, it, took, it took a little while and it really depended on the team member and the level of experience they were bringing to the table. I have a creative director who like the second she came on board, I just felt like we were so in sync that I was able to hand off a lot of work to her and the quality and caliber of work she does you know, it's just something that I can, I can just look forward to and just know that it's going to get done, which is a huge relief for me. Um, the, the other thing too, that, that has really helped us build the trust is to get a little bit better at understanding, like, 
you know, who are the type of team members we need to hire in the first place. Um, and so we, I think, culturally have gotten a better understanding of the way we need to work and how we work. And we're starting to put better tools and systems into place inside the business so that we can feel like there's visibility on anything that's in progress. Um, and that's really helped build the trust over time as well. So talk about women talk money. I hope I'm saying that correctly because I know there's an X in women. Um, talk about how you started that and what's the mission and goals for that? So women talk money was, was something, believe it or not, I, I stumbled into. Um, it, it's my second company. And the way that it started was um, I, you know, I'm connected to all of these women in the accounting industry from my time working in the space. And um, I was on um, Twitter one day and it was kind of at the dovetail of a lot of cultural moments that were happening with the Me Too movement and Time's Up. And I think just this overwhelming realization that like we have come so far as women and yet there's still not proper representation um, and inclusion of our ideas in, in you know, all these places where we've built our careers. And so in this particular instance, it was you know, a panel discussion that was being published by the largest um, accounting event in the in the industry globally and it was called you know the future of the accounting profession and it was you know five nice nice i'm sure very intelligent capable but five nice old white guys and no women and there was just this conversation that unfolded online of women just being like really like really you didn't think something as important as the future of this profession which is you know predominantly female actually you didn't think to include us in the conversation. And so I, being the kind of person I am, just spontaneously threw up a web form on, my, on the site at the time and just said, you know, I don't really believe that there are not qualified women speakers out there. If you are one, submit your name here. And this wild thing happened within the course of like 72 hours because you know, I did it on a weekend. It was like a Saturday. And at the time I didn't have my Twitter <laughs> notifications turned off. My phone just was buzzing all day. And my husband's like, what is going on? And by Monday morning, you know, it had created a lot of noise. And I had, you know, over a hundred women from around the globe submit their information to me. And I knew I had a strong network of, of women in the industry. So I wasn't too surprised, but then I was like, oh crap, what am I supposed to do with these? And so over the next few months, I worked with a friend. I, I brought her on board to, to just build out a website, essentially. And when we launched it, it was just a directory. And I was like, you know, this is going to be the answer to if anybody claims they can't find qualified female speakers, we can send them this directory. And also, if people are trying, you know, trying to do their best to make sure that, you know, whatever they're, they're cultivating, be it a conference or, you know, a panel discussion, is inclusive, like, let's make sure they have a resource to do that. Because I knew that there were a lot of well-intentioned people out there, but people draw on their networks. And so let's put this out into the world. So we launched that um, in, let's see, go back in the time machine, uh, about a year ago, so June 2019. And when we launched it, it was met with a lot of, you know, joy and people were really excited about it. Um, and then we had this second wave of women come out to us and, and say, you know, I love this network. I love what you've built. Um, but I'm not ready to be on that speaker's list, but I want to know those women. I want to learn from those women. And I want to be able to connect with a network of women in, in this space. And so in January, we launched what we call the Women Talk Money community. And so it's a space we get together um, regularly and we have a Slack channel associated with it. 
And so that is a, a community and a network where we share about what it's like to run a, a firm as a woman and talk about the challenges you face and talk about, you know, the ways in which you can own your value and improve your practice. And it's, it's a really, really awesome community. Um, and the women that, that are a part of it are just so, so special to me. It's one of my favorite things I do all month. So, yeah. Kind of has evolved in just a year where it went from just a list of names of people that have experience in those fields to it's a networking site and these people can come together talk share ideas and it's just it's all about empowering people and growing i think nowadays we're social media and we're all seeing these negative comments we all need that positivity and support i know support system was huge for you growing up in, in your career that, that you're giving that support to all these women across the world and it's just it's a great thing to hear about this journey that you're on. Thank you. What has been the greatest thing that you've accomplished during the time of running your own business? Mm. I think probably the most fulfilling thing for me has been, you know, growing, growing a team and growing the business to the point where it's not just feeding my family, but it's actually feeding other people's family. Um, you know, when I started the company, like I said, I had that, that kind of pressure on me to, to provide. And so I think a lot of my mindset, particularly in those early you know, times was, was really limited and was just like about like, what do I got to do to survive and get by? And I did a lot of work on myself through working with different coaches and a lot of reading and introspection around just kind of the power of money and came to realize that the, the goal of my business you know, it was bigger than just being able to pay for myself and my bills, but it was to, to, to be able to give back to others. So not just give by, but give back. And so giving, giving back through the form of being able to provide meaningful and well-paying work for other women, um, being able to give back by, you know, we do a lot of um, supporting and, and um, sponsoring of different, you know, women's networking groups and you know, um, charitable groups and nonprofits that we care about, giving back in the form of mentorship and being able to have the capacity to turn my business into this, this real conduit of commerce that allows for, for people to make money that's really meaningful to them. And so that's, you know, really what I'm most proud of is that we've built something that is bigger than just me. It's, it's, it's you know, providing a lot of meaning to the lives of the women that um, we work with and to the women that work for me. Looking back at your passion growing up and what you wanted to do in college to now what you're doing now. Do you have any regrets that you're on a different path or you're happy of what the journey has been for you? I'm, I'm really happy with, with, with the way the journey has been. And I, I don't think I would change anything because I, you know, each stepping stone led to the next. Um, I think that it's, it's interesting to be as young as I am and, have what I've built because then it's like, okay, well now what? And so right now I'm trying to just really, really focus on scaling and growing our company. Um, I also, you know, I, I write a ton and so I'm working on my first book, which will be coming out next year. And so, you know, that's probably maybe the next step in, in the path is really putting that out to the world. Um, but it's been an awesome ride and I'm really, really excited just to be where I'm at right now. So what does the future look like for you? You talked about your writing a book. What does the future look like for you personally and professionally? Well, um, getting two kids through school during COVID 
<laughs> is is an interesting challenge that I'm up against. But luckily, you know, I've got this company that I can shape around the needs of our family. So that's definitely like the the most imminent future is on my mind, as is for every mother in this country right now. Is how, how do I you know keep my kids engaged and not just in front of an iPad all day long. Yeah. Um, the future also is is focused on growing you know my company and helping other people grow grow their companies. So you know my biggest goal at this point is to build a venture capital firm that's focused on backing um, women founders. We we you know as women capture about one percent of the venture capital dollars. The, the number varies depending on where you live. One to four percent, still way way less than the number of women that own, start, and scale businesses. And in fact. Women are a great bet from an entrepreneurship perspective because we seek money to scale a concept that's working, not to just start a company. Um, and so, you know, my my ambition is to take this company to a point where you know it's really profitable and and uh, we we have the excess funds to spin off another venture and partner with other people who are passionate about female entrepreneurship to put dollars in the hands of business models that we believe in, and then partnering with other women that also bring expertise into the table. So a little bit, um, almost like an incubator, if you will. So it's not just about giving people money, but also giving them the skills and expertise and mentorship they need to make sure their ideas come to life and really thrive. For someone that's getting into entrepreneurship, what tips or advice would you give them to rise to the challenge in that industry? So my first would be do your best to be as focused as possible. Um, and so there's a lot of different, you know, beliefs and practices about this, but I spend a lot of time writing because it helps me distill down my ideas and discover which ones are the best. And I think the biggest challenge for me when I started my own company was I had so many ideas. And so being able, you know, first year was just trying all those ideas on. Second year was really distilling those ideas down. And then now we're in a position where I've told my team, I'm like, don't let me follow any other ideas right now. We've got good ones. Let's just keep making them better. Um, and so that ability to focus is really, really important. I'd also uh, encourage anyone going down a path of entrepreneurship to invest in a coach and make sure they're a good one, but invest in a coach. You know, for me, my revenues doubled the second I hired my coach and I coach as well. And even coaches need coaches is like the moral of that story because you think about elite athletes, you think about anyone who's trying to perform at the top of the game, you've got to have somebody around it hold you accountable, be able to see the bigger picture and help guide you. And quite honestly, it'll pay for itself because you'll be able to grow that much faster. So those would be my core advice. The final question for someone that's listening to this interview, what tips or advice would you give them to rise to the challenge, accomplish their goals and overcome any obstacles based on your journey? Hmm. I would say surround yourself with people who believe in you. Um, it's really, really important, particularly on the path of entrepreneurship. You know, it can be challenging and it can be daunting. So get people around you who are not going to second guess you or going to question or tell you to get a real job, but people who believe in you and find a community. And, um, you know, for me, I've been lucky to, enough to build a community and then be a part of other communities that are all about entrepreneurship and it obviously that leads to business that leads to friendships but most importantly it grounds me with a group of people that get what i'm doing and are supportive of it so it's been really really helpful to me in my journey well Madeline, i want to thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us a little insight on your rise to the challenge and i'm excited and everyone else is going to be excited to see what's next for your future and what you're able to accomplish well thank you so much alex it was a pleasure to be here
Tune in next time to hear my next guest talk about their rising challenge. Make sure to like and subscribe and follow on all our major audio platforms. And make sure you tune in to our YouTube channel to see full-length episodes all in video format. Make sure you subscribe to that channel also. What path are you going to take to accomplish your goals? You decide.